Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. I'm Jay Rodenbush, the Director of Alumni Engagement, and I'm sitting down at Recovery Centers of America Indianapolis location with one of our alums, Joey Johnson. Joey um, is an incredible person and just makes friends wherever he goes, and he just has a lot of light to his personality, and I couldn't wait when we started this podcast to call and see if he would be willing to speak with us today. So, Joey, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you with us. Um, Let's just start with congratulations. You graduated high school last Saturday, right? May 21st? May 21st. I am officially a Hope Academy graduate. Tell me about that. Um, so I started high school back in 2016. Mm-hmm. I'm 20 years old, so that was kind of, it's been six years in the making, really. Mm-hmm. And, like, normally it takes four people, or four, four years for someone to graduate high school. I like to do it my own way. I'm going to take six <laughs> years. I love but that. But I did it. You did it. So. I'm so proud of you. I know you walked through this building today um, as one of our alumni volunteers hanging mm-hmm. out here today. And everybody's like, Joey, it's, yeah. they're just so happy to see you. Yeah, it's cool because like, I can actually come in and come out. You know, and I, not that I'm stuck here, but like I know that this part of my life is in the past and I'm able to come back in a better, more positive kind of way and give back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. So tell me, when were you at RCA as a patient? I was at uh, RCA in April. of. I came April 27th. My sobriety date was April 28th. A year ago. Yes, ma'am. So you just hit one year. I did. That is awesome. That is, yeah. And what did you do to celebrate one year? I think I hit a meeting. You hit a meeting. I hit a meeting. And I just sh- I got my one year token. I got my one year tea tag from NA and AA, and I just kind of I did what works for me and what's been working for me to keep me sober all this time. So just keep doing it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Why don't you take the listeners back? Take us to um, maybe just your active addiction. What did that look like? Wow. Um, I would say chaotic, like if I can summarize it in three words and I'll go into it, it would be chaotic, untrusting, and unpredictable. And I say that because like, it was on, um, it was all those three really, because it was just chaotic in the sense of I didn't know what I was doing and I did everything and anything to do what I wanted, kind of mm-hmm. that self-will. Yeah. Um, unpredictable because I, like I said, I would do anything and everything. So it didn't matter what it was, good or bad, I would do it, you know. And I'm trusting because I didn't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I didn't trust me. I didn't trust my mom. I didn't trust my friends. I didn't trust anyone who really had a good. Um. What's the word? I didn't have. I didn't trust anyone because I didn't think anyone had my best interest at heart. Sure. And I thought I knew everything. I could do everything myself. Kind of like 
that ego maniac in me saying like, oh, you don't need them. You know, mm-hmm. I have myself and that's all I need. Well, myself got me in here. <laughs> my, my thoughts got me in here. So, yeah. Was there a first experience with drugs or alcohol that you felt like that was the time it captured you? So when I was 14, um, I remember my mom, I was back at my house back in Illinois, and my mom, my aunt, and my two cousins lived with me. So there was five people in the house. My mom goes and tells me to tell one of my cousins, who is a drug addict, that supper's ready. And so I'm like, okay, cool, like I'll, I'll go get him. So he's out in his truck, they're two years older than me, and I go out to his truck, and I'm like, hey, my mom said dinner's ready. And he goes, okay, cool, do you want to do something real quick? I was like, what? And he's like, I have these pills, right? I have these pills. And I'm like, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, t- I at this time I was taking medication for ADHD, anxiety, depression. So I kind of knew what they were. I only mm-hmm. thought that they were good, you know, that kind right. of like not realizing their full depth of their power. And so... He brings me in his car, and he ends up having me snort Xanax and Perks that night. Mm -hmm. I did not realize what I was really getting myself into or what would eventually lead to, or it would eventually lead to, but I just remember right before I blacked out, of course, because you're snorting Perks and Xans, you know, but right before I blacked out, I just remember this, like, wave of, like, calmness and just everything in the world shut up including myself my bad thoughts so I was like this is awesome I finally have something that shuts the whole world out including my bad thoughts and I don't have to deal with them that instant gratification of everything's going to be okay instead of working for it I was well I was a lazy person I was really lazy (laughs) so I know I already don't want to work but it was like I finally had the answer to all my problems. And it was really, really bad in that sense because I now know that this is a answer for me and this works for me, unfortunately. So ever since then, I didn't, I didn't touch Xanax or Perks again until like maybe 16, 17, but I did smoke weed. I did do, a lot of drinking and a lot of stuff like that. I experimented with hallucinogenics at one point and I was like this trippy hippie I used to call myself, (laughs) you know? And so there was that, there was my pill phase and eventually it ended with cocaine and ecstasy, any upper really. I didn't like downers because I fell asleep and like in my mind, I don't see a point in doing it, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of like, why would I go to sleep and not feel it, but when I can be awake and feel every moment of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I always stuck with uppers, and eventually that really kicked my butt, you know? Talk about that. Um, It got to a point where, like, I couldn't really eat, like, without taking drugs, or mm-hmm. I couldn't, or drinking even, even though drinking is a downer. I needed something in my system to feel normal so that I could eat, that I could go to school, that I could do anything that a normal 
or a normie, right, right yeah. could do. And so that was really an eye-opener for me. It's like, okay, I'm starting to depend on these a little much. And one thing that really stuck out to me was when we would go to parties or have, like, a little party at my house and my mom was gone. And I would be like, hey, like, let's start drinking. Let's start doing drugs. Like, let's have fun, right? And by maybe three or four hours in, everyone's already knocked out from the liquor. And I was the one who drank the most. And I'm still up and ready. I'm still ready to drink more. And it would take me at least three-fourths of a gallon of Tito's to get drunk, mm. which at the time I didn't see as a lot. Mm-hmm. But looking at the bottle now, like, that's a lot, you know? So it was taking you on this spiral. Yeah, yeah. And so how was school going? How was your life going at that point? Were you able to manage going to school? So for school, I ended up dropping out my senior year to pursue my love of drinking right Mm. pursue my love of partying and just thinking that this party lifestyle this drinking lifestyle is going to always be there for me and always like have my back and like get me through anything that I need I couldn't I would hide like these little shooters in the ceiling tiles of the bathroom so I'd go to the bathroom all the time and just you know take a few right go back to class a little tipsy and then of course I'm smoking marijuana on top of all this so I'm just crossed the entire day mm-hmm. that's pretty unmanageable just to go through school and I was a junior at the time wow and then senior year came around I dropped out mm-hmm. so and so you drop out of school what are you doing with your day drinking and smoking doing drugs just partying thinking that my, I'm going to be young forever, kind of like that immortality phase that I don't think a lot of people go through, but like a lot of addicts do go through is that I'm never going to die. And uh-huh. it's still all kind of somewhat fun. Yeah. Like if you make it fun, that like false sense of reality. And how did you wind up at RCA? I ended up here by calling um, the St. Charles location. Okay. And and that's outside Chicago. Yeah, that's right outside, like 30 minutes. And that's, minutes you live from, close to there. Yeah, I live, like, I would say 40 minutes from Chicago. I live in Montgomery, Illinois. Uh-huh. And St. Charles is probably, like, 20 minutes away from me. And so I'm calling them, and they're like, oh, we can't, we can't let you in. Like, there's too many people here. It's full. I'm like, okay, and mind you, at this time, I'm very high and I'm very drunk. So I'm like, oh, well, more time to party, right? And you kind of, I heard you say once you had an ultimatum from mom. Yeah, my mom always wanted me to get help, but I was just doing it kind of like manipulating her into thinking I want help, Mm. but really just wanting to shut everyone up and just do my time, Mm -hmm. in quotations, and go back to what I was doing, you know, because in my head, I'm not hurting anyone. Because, again, it's that egomaniac kind of coming out. It's like, or my selfishness, really, is that I'm not hurting anyone, you know. I'm only hurting myself, and I don't really see a problem with that, mm-hmm. which is a big red flag, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so they say, St. Charles' location is full, and you're about to hang up the phone. Yeah. And she goes, but wait. She goes, but wait. Like, we have room at our Indianapolis location. I said, all right. Indianapolis, one state away for the summer. Because I, I, it's like, what, April? I want to say I called them. I called them the day I came, so April 27th. Wow. And they were like, we can have someone from the St. Charles location drive you halfway to Indianapolis and then someone from the Indianapolis location will come and get you the other way. And I was like, okay, bet. You know, like, because in my head, I'm thinking, I'm already, I'm already good, you know, mm-hmm. drunk and high. I, I can go through this. Of course, I didn't think that I'm going to get sober because it doesn't last forever. <laughs> right. And that I have to now deal with the choices I made. Yeah. Which is like, again, no one ever thinks of that when you're drunk or high. It's always, this is going to be forever. This moment is going to be forever. So keeping that in mind, I was like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. So I called my mom literally five minutes later. I'm like, hey, mom, guess what? And she's like, what? I'm like, I'm off to rehab. And she goes, uh, okay. And I was like, yeah. So and she, she leaves work, comes home. We talk. Everything's good, and then they pick me up, and like I say goodbye, and we go. One thing for me, because I've been in rehab three other times prior to this, okay, and I was on the adolescent unit. Mm-hmm. Every time I would go to rehab, I always felt that when my mom would drop me off, that I'm disappointing her. Like, oh, she has to do this again. Like, I'm such a mess up. I'm such mm-hmm. a failure. Whatever you want to say, that's all. That's always how I always felt. And so when I kind of got picked up from there, it felt more of like, I'm doing this, you know? And again, I'm not thinking that I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this for you. It still had a different feeling to it, which I feel like is why it really was the beginning of my journey. Because like, I know they say like, you can't get sober for anywhere else but yourself. Like you have to want it. Mm -hmm. Deep down, I did want to get sober, but there was a lot of parts of me that didn't. Yeah. And I feel like that overweighed it. So, like, having that tiny sliver of me wanting to get sober, along with that, I would say medium size of my mom really wanting me to get sober compared to what I didn't want, really was the boost to get me through, you know? Do you remember the drive at all? No. (laughs) No. No, I don't. No. I just remember cornfields. Lots of cornfields between of corn here and Chicago. Fields, yeah. And windmills. Can't forget the windmills. <laughs> Cannot forget the windmills. Um, I remember the first time I saw you. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in group. And I don't think you'd made the decision to be sober yet. Yeah. What, what was going through your mind those first few days? How am I going to get through this? without liquor because for me for I would say I started heavy drinking or heavily drinking probably when I was 16 Mm -hmm. and I'm at this time 19 so for three years I've had alcohol as this like band-aid crutch everything a solution to the anxiety to the depression right and so now having been in a new state new people new rehab I don't know anyone (laughs) I have no liquor I'm like what am I gonna do now do you think you wanted to be sober no 
No. No. I didn't want to be sober because I didn't like who I was. And I knew that if I got sober, because like in my past rehabs, I've learned that like you, you slowly start to gain who you were or who you are, mm-hmm. you know? I didn't know what that was, and change always scared me ever since I was a little kid. I hated New Year's. <laughs> I hated, like, any celebration of change, right? I never liked it. I hated my birthdays for a long time because it meant that I was older. It meant that I, I had more responsibilities, right? And so coming here and it all being changed was like, oh, crap. Like, yeah. I'm... I really got myself into this, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to be sober because I knew that that was going to change me. And I've heard you say something interesting about being in an adult, being around adults right. suffering from substance use. Yeah. And how that was so much different than oh, yeah. watching your peers. Right. Talk a little bit about that. So when I got to RCA and being on the adult unit for the first time, I finally saw down how it looked down the road Mm. that was a big thing for me because I was like wow it really doesn't get better it gets (laughs) it gets worse yeah like I had lost friends right I lost some family due to my addiction and my choices that I made but I didn't lose everything I was a what they call a high bottom drunk right Mm -hmm. um Seeing them and how bad bad of shape they were in when they first got into rehab or, like, what addiction has just done to them in general was, like, I'm lucky. Yeah. You know, I – this is my chance to turn it around. Like, I don't want – I don't want to end up like them. Sure. And I don't think they wanted to either. Mm -hmm. Like, no one ever thinks of where you'll go and what will happen to you with addiction because no one knows. But – seeing them really just kind of opened my eyes and just showed me like this is not what I want my future to look like like that was like the first reassurance of what I wanted in a long time that wasn't alcohol based or or influenced or any drug influenced by you know it was like I want something better for myself I don't know what that is I don't know what it looks like Or how to get there. But I don't want this to happen to me. Are there any... You're sitting here in the facility after a year. Yeah. Are there any places in this building or moments that you can specifically remember where something happened there? Or this is a significant moment? On the second floor, um, the little lounge area Mm -hmm. that was my favorite place because like it was either it would either be empty because everyone was in group or everyone was in there and I'm a people person so I loved being around people and that was just like Mm -hmm. the you know the spot you know Mm -hmm. and when people were in groups it was like a beautiful space just to be alone in you know it felt like home it wasn't as institutionalized you know, it yeah. was, I mean, yes, you're in an institution, but it doesn't look like it, you know, it's, it's a really, beautiful it's space. very homey. Yeah. And so it, it really reminded me of my house and just the way it was set up and like, 
I was like, oh, okay, I'm just chilling in a family room, right? Mm -hmm. And when I, I, I would cry a lot because <laughs> I was a very emotional person. I'm still a very emotional person. I think that's what we love about you. Yeah. <laughs> I was very emotional when I came in because I didn't know, A, what was good for me or B, what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so just keeping that in mind, like I kept battling what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I wanted to smoke and drink and live a party lifestyle like a normal person my age would. I didn't want the consequences that I knew would come along with it, that have come along with it in the past. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a pattern with me. And I, that's, that's the story with a lot of addicts, alcoholics. It's a pattern for when they use this happens you know and then the second time they use this happens so let's skip to that moment you're about to walk out of treatment and a lot of young people would say i didn't graduate high school i don't have a job waiting for me uh i don't but care. I have nothing to live forward to. yeah and i'm gonna go back out how did you stay sober so there were my case manager and my therapist here. Mm -hmm. They recommended I go to sober living. And at this point, I'm like, at, towards the end of my treatment here, I was getting a little more open-minded to like. I remember right. That was a no-go at that first. Was a, I was like, nope, I'm not Hard pass. That. I'm going home. Sorry, but I don't know you. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't really care how you feel. <laughs> and again, that's me being selfish. Like, I know they care. And I know this, but I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care about myself. I don't care what happens to me. So why would, if I can't care for myself, how am I supposed to care what you, what you are or mm -hmm. what you think, right? Krista and Allie, mm -hmm. who work here, I remember I broke down to them. It was like maybe three or four days before I left here. And I was like, I don't know what's good for me. And I kept, like, <laughs> that's going to be a recurring theme yeah. as we talk. But I don't know what's good for me. And they're like, we think sober living is what's good for you. And I was like, okay. And I had built a rapport with them. So, like, I'm a little more trusting of them mm -hmm. than I was with everyone else. Sure. Um, and they reminded me a lot of my older cousin, Kimmy, who's always looked out for me, who's always had my back through through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was like, if you're like her, I can trust her. I can trust you a little bit. You yeah. know, you give me that vibe. Mm -hmm. it, and I just remember breaking down to them. They told me sober living along with um, Ethan and my two people, my case manager and my therapist, Raven and Tish, they all had a part to play in me going to Evolve and D. Awesome. And I went to there for 47 days. It's a PHP sober living housing. Mm -hmm. And so when I was there, I just remember, crap, I got myself into another situation <laughs> <laughs> with no liquor or no drugs. You got to face those mm -hmm. thoughts and those feelings. Yeah, because at this point, I would say I'm almost a month sober. Mm -hmm. So like, I, this is probably the longest I've ever gone mm -hmm. sober and had had actually 
done a little bit of recovery work in it. Right. Like before when I had gotten sober at Rosecrans, I didn't take any of it seriously. So like I'm just going through the motions and not feeling feeling a thing. Right? You started working on the mental health right. piece, didn't you? Yeah, I was like opening up more. I was more honest with myself and others, you mm-hmm. know, and willing. A little more like that how thing, right? Honest, open-mindedness, and willingness. Like those are the three components that you need to do on a, on a daily basis to remain sober one of the things right mm-hmm. and so I'm learning that and I just remember I'm changing that scared me mm-hmm. like again like I don't like change so why would I want to do something I don't like then I got told here um you have to get on you have to get comfortable in uncomfortability Oh, I don't like that. I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't either. And I didn't know what they meant until I got to Pathways, which is where I currently live. And I got real uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but back to sober living, it was just the idea of sober living, living with a bunch of guys, didn't sound appealing to me. Yeah. Especially people who were addicts. Again, I'm seeing the differences, not the similarities. So I'm like, I'm not doing heroin. I'm not shooting meth. I'm I'm drinking. I'm like a normal person compared to these people. The way I drink isn't normal, you know? Went back to the justification. Right, the justification, the thinking I'm better than everyone, standing on my high horse, you know? Wow. And I'm like... I'm different. Like, I'm a unique little snowflake. I am not like you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. And I began to shut down again. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I had already committed to sober living. I already got into it. I have to go at this point. And my, they already talked to my mom, so she wasn't going to pick me up. Oh, and I wasn't that, gonna... how big was that? Mom just saying, no, you have to do this. Now I am so proud of her because she was never being able to set boundaries like that. Then I was not too happy, not going to lie. <laughs> if if somebody's mom was talking to you today and their son, their daughter is going through this process and they're having a really hard time setting boundaries, right. what would you say to that mom or dad? Remember that you are you first. You got to put you first. Because if you can't be yourself, if you can't be there for yourself, you can't expect to be there for your kid. You know, like you have, you're a person to remember that, like you have your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own motives, your own responsibilities that you have to do for yourself. How are you going to give all those things to someone else when you can't do it for yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and that, and that's it was something. okay to was say okay. no. It's okay to say no, especially when it's affecting your serenity. Wow. That's one thing I learned when I, again, broke down to. <laughs> when I learned that from my mom, I was like, wow. Like, I've been not, I've been manipulating her. I've been treating her poorly. And I just never saw it as that. I always thought it was like, well, I don't really know how I saw it. I just didn't see it at all, really, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought it was just normal. It's not. It's addict. It's addictive behavior with that. I want what I want, and I want it now. And I'm not gonna listen to anyone who has to say anything else about it. Talk to me a little bit about getting into Hope Academy. What? 
How'd that change your life? Hope Academy really showed me what I was like when I was in Rose Creek. And I say that because, again, I'm 20 years old at this point, 1920, right? I'm surrounded by 14 to 18 year olds. Not that there's a big difference, but to me, there was in a yeah. in that two year span. And you had I done a lot to, of work. Right. I had done a lot of work and I've done, I think I, when I started there, I was nine months sober. Yeah. So I already had some foundation of sobriety under me. Not a lot, but not a little, you know? Mm-hmm. And so going in there and seeing them. And again, this is a recovery high school. What is a recovery high school? You said Hope Academy is a recovery high school. What does that mean? So they have recovery coaches on deck. They have um, kind of like, so I went to a therapeutic day school for my alternative school once I got kicked out of my other two mainstream schools. That's back in Illinois. Back in Illinois, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I was there, they had like their, their main thing was surrounded around mental health and just dealing with that aspect right they had like i think it was like three or four therapists on deck three or four counselors on deck ready to engage in any situation that happened ready to help you out and just talk things out right here at hope academy they had recovery coaches they had um celebrations of periods in sobriety like time-wise Completely focused on your recovery. Recovery and sobriety were their main focuses. And just and then it was like academic. How did it feel to finish? You turn that last paper in, you oh, take know. that last test. Yeah, it I'm not gonna lie, when I was at my graduation we had to get a speech. And just realizing like, oh crap, I'm here, I'm giving a speech about what got me here and I who I wanna thank. I'm like I really did it. I never thought I'd be able to graduate. I always thought I would get, like, not even a GED. I just thought nothing's ever going to become of me because I can't do this. Mm. That self-doubt. And I just remember being up there, and I'm reading. I'm, like, halfway through my speech, and I almost break down in tears. And it was... It was emotional, just the auditorium, the vibe in there. Sure. Very emotional. But for me, it was more like realization. I did this. I didn't need liquor. I didn't need weed. I didn't need any sort of mind-altering substance. I did this sober. That was really cool for me. And to see mom there. My mom was so proud. She's a mess. My I, a I mess. can't imagine. But she was, I was finally, I had given her that opportunity to see me do that. And to see the reaction she got, right, being yeah. a mess. I was like, I gave that to her without, in the most positive, best way I could. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no like, meanness or hurtfulness coming from it it was more she's proud of me she she always knew I could do it and I love my mom because she always knew who I was when I did it especially when I did it she knew she knew that this wasn't me you know Mm -hmm. I thought the drugs and the alcohol were always were always me and were always going to be me 
So, yeah. What has been the greatest gift of recovery? Huh. There's a few that come to mind. So, learning to deal and handle my emotions and my thoughts, that's a big gift because I was never able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You found some new coping skills. Yeah, coping skills. That was a big thing that I had learned. And I remember I would talk to, like, therapists or whatever, and I would say, oh, I know all the coping skills. I just don't use them. That was exactly it. (laughs) I Like, why would I want to use them when I have A, B, and C that are drugs and liquor to help me? Why would I? Why would I want to use your coping skills? <laughs> you know what I mean. It's hard work. It's hard. I don't like work. <laughs> like I don't like working. Is not my favorite thing to do. I do like money, but like it's that uncomfortability. Uncomfortability. Ooh. Like I don't like exerting myself. Mm-hmm. But that's how you build um, respect in the community. That's how you build like that. What is the word? Um, stamina. Mm-hmm. You know, to keep going in hard situations. Like with school, I had to build a lot of stamina to keep going. Because mm-hmm. I had dropped out for two years, and I'm going right back at it. Whew. That was a hard jump for it's me. very tough. And all I had to do was a semester long, because that was how many credits, like they fit all my credits that I needed to finish up in that semester. So I had about eight eight or nine credits, I think it was, that I had to finish in a semester. A lot of stress, <laughs> a lot of anxiety. I'm sure. But building, like, okay, I'll do this much this day, and then a week will go by. Okay, I'll do this much the next day. You know, kind of slowly building that stamina to where I think it was my last week of school, I just kept doing work every day, trying mm-hmm. to, like, do anything I could, talk to the teachers, talk to whoever. And sometimes I didn't even do that because I like to self-sabotage. And I do it without even realizing until they come up and they're like, hey, we see you're not good. Because I act out, right? Like when I'm struggling, I act out. When things don't go my way or I don't know what I'm doing, I act out because I'm scared. That's what it really comes down to is I'm scared that I'm going to fail, that I'm going to mess up or whatever it may be so they'll come the teachers would come to me and talk to me and be like hey like we see you're struggling um what how can we help mm-hmm. that was a big thing i liked about help because they really cared mm-hmm. so like i got my c i think it was a d minus or a c minus mm-hmm. one of those two not great grades but like passing grades nonetheless yes. but they were like hey what can we do to boost this up and i was uh-huh. like I don't know, I can't answer, like, I can't answer questions. I, I, I know what we learned, I just didn't do the work, right? That work aspect again. And I just remember, like, he would, my art teacher would ask me questions about, throughout the unit and about my art pieces, about what, what it meant to me. Mm-hmm. And I answered the questions. And he, I got it. I ended up, I ended the semester with a C plus or a B minus. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so that was really cool. Is that like they really do care? Mm-hmm. They want to see you graduate. They want to see you succeed. They just need to see that effort. Right. They they can't they can't do all the work for you. Right. Yeah. That's what I learned. That a lot of people like I always thought, oh, you can do this for me. You know, like as long as you're serious about my recovery, I'll be fine. Right. How has being a part of RCA's Alumni Association helped you stay sober? By seeing people who just come out of here with maybe a couple weeks to a couple months, we all have the same struggles. Mm -hmm. Realizing that, yes, down the line it does get easier to deal with these struggles, but at the end of the day we all have these same struggles of addiction and substance use and mental health. Like We all can relate on that. So coming together and being like, hey, I'm not feeling too good. And then the other person being like, hey, me neither. We come together and we find a solution. And we live in the solution. That's the main thing is that we all try and put effort into living in the solution today compared to what we used to do. So what's next for Joan? Well, I want to work here. I want to work at RCAs and RSS. And you brought a resume. I did bring a resume. I did. And I was like, this is some big boy stuff. It was. I was like, it was so exciting. <laughs> um, my end goal is to become some, like, I want to become a case manager at one point. Mm-hmm. But I just, I really wanted to start out and just give back to the place that got me sober. Mm-hmm. Because had I not come here and learned what I did, I wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have been dead, you know, either from alcohol poisoning, drugs, lace drugs. Or just reckless behavior. I would have been dead. Somebody's out there today. A young person. They're 19, 18, 19. And they're struggling. And they're not sure if it's worth it. They're not even sure if they want to be sober. Maybe they know they don't want to be sober. What would your advice to them be? Do you like the way you're living now? With your whole heart? If you don't like it, maybe there's something wrong. There's always help out there. There's always help out there. It's about you going to find it that counts. Like when I when I first got sober, I didn't want to get help, but I had to do it for an ulterior motive, mm-hmm. which was you know to shut my mom up <laughs> in a less classy way of saying that. You know. Yeah. But. How did it become your journey? It started out as mom. So it started out with me doing it for my mom. And as I slowly got through each um, facility, right, I started to see the promises come true. And one of the first promise I saw that came true was, or like not not a specific promise, but like the The hope, the hope, right, the hope was when I was in Evolve ND, I think I was like midway through their facility and or their program and my lawyer or my lawyer, I think it was my lawyer, my lawyer called me mm-hmm. and said, Hey, the judge wants to drop your case. Wow. And I was like, Okay, why? Like, why are they wanting to do this? Are they gonna hit me with a new charge? But it was because I, they've seen me go to rehab. That mm-hmm. was nothing new. 
but they saw I took another step towards it, whether it's my step or I did it for someone else. They saw that, and they were like, oh, he's really trying to get help. Like, he really wants, and that may, may or may not have been the case, but it was like an eye-opener, like, oh, my God. Things started falling in place. Right. Yeah. Sobriety is actually, like, working in my favor. Drugs and liquor really got me, not got me into that particular situation, but it got me into much worse. Mm-hmm. Sobriety hasn't done that to me. Life still happens, and life is up and down, but sobriety itself has not hit me with a negative situation. Favorite recovery quote? I really like HALT. Okay. (laughs) Um, Tell me what HALT is. So HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and they tell you not to get any of those, or not to get too much of any of those. When I get hungry, I get angry. Hangry. I get hangry, I get so angry. <laughs> and for they say these, for the, they say for these, don't get too much in any one of these categories because that's when certain thoughts come in. Mm-hmm. Like when I get angry, I think I get the case of like the ethics, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, screw this, screw that. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And I end up. I could end up relapsing. I could end up self-sabotaging. I could end up doing a lot of negative harm to myself. When I get lonely, I think, what's the point in everything? Like, I have nothing to offer anyone, right? And so, it, again, gets in that self-sabotage, those tendencies of relapse. Mm-hmm. And tired. Tired. I just, man... When I get too tired, I just end up kind of getting the ethics again and just being not thinking clearly, mm-hmm. right? Like, I can think clearly through hang, hungry, angry, and lonely, but when I get tired, my brain is, like, running on empty, you know, using fumes. Mm-hmm. I can't think right. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, that's, that's my favorite one because, like, I'm 20 years old. I get hungry a lot, I get angry a lot, and I get lonely a lot, and I'm tired all the time. So, maybe I'm getting old, but I don't know. You're learning some of those coping skills you didn't like. Yeah. That's awesome. And just using them was a big thing. Yeah. Like, I never, I knew all of them. I knew what they stood for. I knew what they did. But I didn't do them. Like, why would I do them? You know? Joey, I want to thank you for coming by today. You made my day and um, you're such an inspiration and I sure hope you'll keep telling your story. People need to hear it. Thanks. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us today for the Strength and Recovery podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. If you're interested in learning more, visit rcaalumni.com. Here, you can fill out our web form to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails and are notified of special events. The Alumni Association of RCA 
exists to connect individuals to an active recovery community. It is our goal to work with alumni to help them succeed, belong, and ultimately serve others. We help our alumni succeed by hosting more than 120 recovery support meetings per month with both virtual and in-person offerings of big book studies, speaker meetings, beginners meetings, Monday through Friday daily inspiration meetings, meetings for men and women, and faith-based meetings. Second, we create a welcoming community that provides a sense of belonging with a full calendar of events each month. Speaker series, barbecues, holiday celebrations, bowling, sporting events, theater shows, and much more. Thirdly, we provide an opportunity for our alumni to serve both the recovery community and in our local neighborhoods. We offer speaker commitments, chair commitments, mentoring opportunities in our facilities, volunteering at food banks, recovery, and overdose awareness events. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Recovery Centers of America provides inpatient and outpatient treatment and has locations in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, was founded to break down barriers to expert treatment. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, are in network with major insurance providers and provide evidence-based treatment in our world-class facilities. If you or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RECOVERY and know we are here for you.